Good morning, everybody. This is our final week in the Sabbath series. I don't know if that makes you happy or sad. This has been one of uh, one of the longest ones. The, the longest thing I've ever done was preaching through Mark. That took a whole year, <laughs> which I didn't expect at that time either. That kind of surprised me. But this has been one of the longest series I've done, and it, it didn't start off that way. And I, I think if you've been around us for a while, you, you, you know that this was originally a much shorter one. But I, I really felt like the Holy Spirit um, kept nudging me that, that I had not yet put into practice. I had not yet realized what this meant for, for me and for us. Um, to be a people of the presence of God, to be a people of the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, it, it's a big deal. And I don't think we can do those things if we don't really understand this concept, if we don't really get what it is to enter into his rest, which is an Old Testament concept and a New Testament concept. Um, it's an eternal concept, and it's a very present concept. And this idea of what the Sabbath has meant for all of us has uh, hopefully been, been life-giving, because it has been for me. Um, I do want to acknowledge before I, I jump into this that Lent does start this week, as we had in the announcements, if you missed those. But we're going to be jumping into a Lenten series as soon as this one is over. But since, you know, Fat Tuesday is Tuesday and Ash Wednesday is Wednesday, uh, if you are not a part of Slack, I, I do encourage you to reach out now. There's a, this 40-day devotional thing we'll, we'll be doing, and I'd love to talk about it, you know, online with you guys as often as you want to. So I don't think we've yet used that communication to its extent. I think this is a, a great opportunity to kind of discuss these things. It's, uh, the idea is it's 40 days of risking for the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a, a whole way of exploring the, the depths of, of what the Lord has called us to. So this is a great week to jump into that. Um, so we're going to be talking about Lent coming up, but, but we need to, to wrap this thing up. This is the, the week I've been dreading the most of this whole series. Uh, and that's because this is the practical application of the Sabbath. This is not theoretical. This is not theological. This is like, hey, Josh, what have you been doing to practice the Sabbath? How has this changed your life? What have you done differently because of this? I, I've, I've acknowledged kind of all along that I've been struggling with this because I have. Um, one of the, the things that I, I've hated hearing is uh, when people tell me, Josh, you're so busy, which is an accurate statement. But Leah said this about herself as well. This isn't what we want to be known for. We don't want to be known for having a full playbook. We don't want to be known for having too much on our plates and, and always being too busy. We want to be known as, as a people that, you know, that, that do these things well and let the Holy Spirit do what he does. That, that we can be good and faithful stewards for what's in our stead, what's in our control. And then we model and we show the goodness of the Lord. So it is hard for me. I, I am a soccer coach. I am an IT worker. I'm a pastor. I'm a father. I'm a husband. And that's not to list a resume, but it's to say, honestly, I don't have a day a week that I can say I'm not going to do anything. I wish I was better at sermon prep where I didn't use Saturdays. I'm not. <laughs> um, it just doesn't work that way. I work on it a little bit throughout the week, but then on Saturdays, it's, it's, I just I can't not do that. So I tried. I tried throughout this whole time to find a, and carve out a day where I wouldn't have to do IT work or church work and where I could just be like this is my Sabbath. I haven't found it. But what I have found is these moments throughout every day, and it is daily, where I say no to work, where I choose family, and I choose God's kingdom over the things that are going to promote myself or promote my own success, where I actually turn down things. And I think if I'm not actively turning anything down, I've not engaged in any Sabbath. 
If I'm not saying no to something, it doesn't just happen by itself. It has to take this active work. So this is the one I've been dreading right at the end. What have I been doing with this? The truth is, though, I couldn't have preached this sermon week one or week two, <laughs> or week three, or week four, however long we've been doing this, I could not have preached this sermon because this work wasn't yet mature. This fruit wasn't yet mature. And I'm not even saying I'm done with this yet. We'll be done with this. But I'm going to keep doing this. Um, this is one of the things that I, I think I know I have to fold into my life. Um, in fact, uh, some of you know that I'm, I was not here whenever Lee was preaching a, a few weeks back because I was at this well-being of pastors initiative, something that, that Vineyard's doing, and they, they gave me a, a, a coach, and I don't really quite get how this whole life coach thing works. That's not really my generational, you know, sort of bend, but they, they, they assigned us this coach, and he was saying, like, well, what do you want to work on? And, and I said, you know, I really need to figure out my daily rhythm. My daily rhythm, my weekly rhythm, my monthly rhythm, and my, my yearly rhythm. And I said, th this, this matters to me enough that, that this, is, this is what I need to do. So he's going to hold my, my feet to the fire as it is for this entire, it's a two-year process. And in, until I'm done with that, he's like, well, this is going to take some time. So while we're done talking about this, I'm going to keep working on this. And, and I hope, and I, and I believe that the fruit of that is going to be something that we can all see and enjoy and appreciate. And, and that's not just because of me and, and my role in this church. It's because I think that the world needs to see this fruit in all of us. And I, th I think it's the sort of thing in a community that whenever we do this together, it begins to change the fiber of our being and the way that we look and the way that our, our worship is and the way that we wait on the Spirit, the way that we understand grace, the way that we understand forgiveness, and, and what we understand is our role in this whole thing. It, it, I, I see that as this foundation and also this cornerstone and also this, this heartbeat and also this breath of life through all of it. You know, they all have this different cadence and rhythm, but the Sabbath is so important because it's through the whole thing. But we need James 1, all right? James 1, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. We, we've talked about the Sabbath as a command versus as a, as a discipline. We talked about the way that, that yes, it's, it's in the law, but it's also still a New Testament thing. And it, it's present, but it's also eternal. That day still remains for us to enter into his rest. And I think that this kind of talks about that so perfectly and beautifully. It is that, that perfect law that gives freedom. And if we look intently at this perfect law that gives freedom and we continue in it, not forgetting what we've heard, but doing it, then we'll be blessed in what we do. And I think that might be the, the best expression I have found yet of how this actually applies to us. And, and I always, I remember the first time I read this in James, distinctly I remember the first time I read this in James. I love James. It's actually probably my, my favorite book of the Bible. Um, and I remember the first time I read the, this picture of a person looking into the mirror, I thought, 
what? What a weird idea. Somebody looking in the mirror and forgetting what they look like. And I always thought of it as the guy who looks in the fridge for something to eat <laughs> and then promptly forgets what's in there and closes the door and goes back again. And, and, and that metaphor has worked for me throughout this whole time. That, that's the way I think about this. I, I come to, to life and I look and I, I open the door and I say, yeah, that's still in there. And then I, what do we have to eat? <laughs> and you're right back there again. This idea that we, we forget things, but we need to ground what we hear, what we know, what we, what we understand in something ultimately very physical, tangible, practical. Something you can see and understand. There's a, a bridge in Prague, and uh, there's a, a, a statue in there. I want to make sure we pull up the, the right one here. Um, yeah, this one. So there's a, a bridge in, in Prague. This is called the Charles Bridge. And everybody who crosses over this bridge, they actually touch one of three things. So there's, there's this old legend that this is uh, the, the bridge that, that Charles um, threw off St. John, not the St. John that you think of, another St. John. He threw him off the bridge for divulging secrets about the queen. So he was thrown over this bridge into the water. He, he drowned there. This is where this happened. And so they, they erected this, this plaque. And so whenever people cross this bridge, they, they go and they're supposed to either touch the queen or touch this, this image of St. John, all right? And, and the, the idea is if you do that, you're going to return. It's something tangible that you lay your hands on saying you're going to come back here. However, nobody's done that. They lay their hands on this dog. And you know why? Because it's a dog. <laughs> and I love that there is no legend around why you have to lay your hands on the dog. But if you look at St. John and if you look at the queen, they're not very worn. But everybody wants to lay their hands on the dog. And because I love it so much, I actually saw this in Moscow. This is, uh, this is a dog that they have in Moscow as well. The same thing has happened here. This is the Moscow subway hound. And everybody who walks by, they rub the, the nose of the dog. And it, we're so practical. We're so tangible as a people, humans, if I can be non-human for a while, looking at us. We need to stay connected to things. You know, we, we want this, this physical, tangible reminder. We, we want to make sure that we're grounded in things. Otherwise, if we're not in touch, it's just words, it's just pictures, it's just memories. You, you know Bubblegum Alley? Ugh. Here, I, I got a picture of Bubblegum Alley. How gross is that? This is in California. But people love to do this. They, they love to leave like a little part of you behind. They, they, it's, and and you, you read about this. People say, I left my gum in Bubblegum Alley. It's like a tangible way of, of marking this. Like, what's that? <laughs> Man, this is, if you really wanted people's DNA, you could go through here. Yeah, it is, I mean, you don't want to bump against the walls of this alley. That's just so gross. But it's this, this history of, of, like, everybody leaving their mark. And it, you look at Paris. We had the same thing with the locks on this bridge. You know what I'm talking about with this one? People put these locks on the bridge, and they leave it, and then they walk away. And there were so many locks on this bridge that the bridge was actually starting to, like, the, the gates were starting to, to pull off. They had to cut them off. And everyone's like, no, and they rushed to put more on. You can't stop people from trying to do this. They, they want to be in touch with this world, to leave a mark saying, this, th I was here. I lay my hand on this. It's something physical. It's something practical. It's something tangible. And so much of the time, whenever I think we hear sermons, it's words. It's like James said, you know, we, we, we look into the, the mirror. We say, oh, that applies to me. And then we go on with our lives as, a, as if nothing happened. We don't leave our, our gum in bubblegum alley. We don't put our hands on that, that dog. We, we don't take something with this. 
And, and I know you've heard a number of sermons in your life. I know you have. You've heard a number of mine. And I, I, I pray, I really do pray that this one, maybe of all the ones you've heard, somehow gets in, gets past the filters and, and, and plants the seed to actually start growing this fruit in your life. Because I don't think we can have the full life that Jesus promises us, that he wants for us, if we don't get this. We won't get grace if we don't get this. We'll think it's about works. We'll think it's about my work. We, we won't understand that, that he accomplished this on the cross if we think, I still have to do something for this. If we think 24-7, 365, I've got to be doing something. And then it, it creeps into our lives in such ways that, that we think, I just have to be, some, I have to do something. And, and then somebody says, I forgive you. And you think, well, that's very sweet. But here, I'm still going to fill in the dots, right? We don't receive forgiveness. We don't extend grace. And it, it pollutes our thinking in ways that, that we don't understand. And I do believe that Sabbath rest is just this way of unwinding all of that and growing the good fruit of the kingdom in its stead. It's incredibly important, I do believe. So I'm going to ask for honesty for you with the excuses that you make for yourselves. All right. And also, let's graciously acknowledge the challenges we face in implementing this. So sometimes you think, I should have done the Sabbath here. I should have had a day off. But, all right, realize where that's an excuse that you've made, which is not a valid excuse. But let's also graciously acknowledge that our lives are more complex than maybe any time before, where we're reachable, you know, 24-7, 365 by these devices. My, my, my watch just interrupted me in the middle of a sermon. Like, what a weird world we're living in. And, and, and what do we do with that? How do we live in this world where we have these challenges, right? But we don't make excuses, where we don't say, well, it doesn't apply to me because X, Y, Z. This world's legitimately challenging. We've made it complicated. This world expects us, but this is the week that I think the Holy Spirit is going to look into your life, call you by name, and say, this is for you. For you, for you, for you, for right now, for now, for now. I can say that with confidence because he loves you, and you need this, and this is his way. He loves you, you need this, and this is his way. Life to the full includes being led by the Lord of the Sabbath and entering into his rest. So, arguably, this is the most important topic of the series, the most practical and the hardest one for me. So let's get down to, to brass tacks here. Um, the challenge, I think, is that I agree that the Sabbath is prescriptive. I'm not sure how descriptive it can be. That's a, a nuance that I want to kind of make sure you understand what I'm saying. The dictionary, I was very troubled to learn, is descriptive of words, not prescriptive. What this means is that the word literally does not mean literally what it used to mean. It's descriptive on how people are using it today. So if you look at the definition of literally, it says figuratively. <laughs> As a word nerd, this greatly bothers me, but this is the way that society has used these words. So it's describing how people are using words. So if you don't understand when somebody says this word, you can look it up in the dictionary, and it describes this is what this word means. Now, prescriptive would mean this is the absolute correct definition of this word, and you can go to that, and you know that this is it. And we want to use that as a way of like even using the dictionary to hit somebody over the head and be like, you're using it wrong. <laughs> but the dictionary was never intended to do that. 
or maybe this is just the way that the dictionary lobby gets to sell new dictionaries every year as words change and they get new meanings. But either way, dictionaries are actually understood to be descriptive and not prescriptive. So for the Sabbath, that means the same thing. I'm, I want to describe for you how we're living the Sabbath. Now, how is the Spirit going to lead you into that? I, I wish this was like a legalistic, this is what you do and what you don't do, but I just don't think we ever have that. Your life is different than mine. Now, there are guardrails. There are, there are paths that you can take. There are, are truths that you can apply to your lives. But the way that this is going to manifest in your life, I think, is going to be unique. I think it's going to be beautiful. I think it's going to be personal. I think it's going to give you life in a way that other people could not get life from. All right? So I, I hope that's the, the, a good understanding for why we're talking about this as prescriptive versus, um, uh, I'm sorry, descriptive. Uh, so I'm not a man of road answers. I, I legitimately enjoy the spontaneous. Like, I, I just love things even for the sake that they're spontaneous. I, I love that they weren't planned and you ended up going someplace you weren't expecting to and that things happen. In fact, when Lee and I were, were dating, uh, we always said that we wanted to just break up the monotony. And our lives were not very monotonous in college, but we just enjoyed the spontaneous idea of life. Like, that is in my kind of the fiber of my being. I love spontaneity. I, I love new things. I love fresh things. And so I was never one to have like a, a quiet time every day at 6 a.m. when I wake up. That just hasn't been in, in my, my method, you know. I've been doing this running thing now, which I hate. But, you know, and, and, and I, I don't do it at the same time every day. And, and I, I don't think, though, let me say it this way. I don't think I've ever missed a day of praying, perhaps in my entire life. I, I, I can't think of the, the last day that I, I didn't pray. Now, I'm sure I've missed days of reading my Bible, but not terribly many. So I, I do these things. I have this, this discipline in my life, but not in the way that like, looks regimented like I was taught to believe you know, good Christians should and, and do. So I think that there's a lot of flexibility we'll find here. But the life that I want to live, the life that I find the Spirit is quote-unquote free in the fact that I don't know what the day will bring me. It's fresh, a response to the day. It's free of monotony. So understanding that that's who I am in the fiber of my being, and that, that doesn't necessarily apply to you. I'm not saying that that's better or worse. This was really hard for me, you know, because Sabbath, if anything, as we understand the Old Testament particularly, is very regular, very regimented. You know when it's coming, and you have to plan for it. You have to know what's coming, and you have to know in advance what to do and what not to do. It, it, kind, of, it kind of rules your calendar in that way. You know, I, I love the idea of this flexible calendar. We'll see, and we'll adjust, and we'll flow, and we'll, we'll make things work together. But if you are dealing with somebody who has a Sabbath on their calendar, guess what? You're going to hit a wall. You're going to be like, can we do that on Saturday? No. What? <laughs> we, can, we can surely fit it in. No. That's not the way that that works. So I, I boiled this down to a, a few key elements, and I, I want to list these for you here, and I, I hope that these will, will help you. The first one being having a day of preparation. All right? Maybe, maybe not a full day of preparation, but, but have time of preparation for your Sabbath. Separation, meaning let's create space for this day to be what it is, for this time to be what it is, where it's not polluted, where it's not engaged with everything else in your daily life. Let's have the Sabbath include some form of worship. Let's have our Sabbath include some type of fellowship. Now, this one is hard. Exclude buying and selling. I'm going to say a lot more about that one. 
no legalism. All right, now that, that one is so important for us, and variety. So th this is kind of the, the punch list that I have. I notice I have seven. Didn't do that really on purpose, but I think that the seven actually really do kind of work for this thing. So are there more ideas? Maybe are there less? You could maybe combine some of these, but, but seven came out. That seems like a very pastoral thing to do, but it just kind of happened by default. I, I should have said I did it on purpose, but I didn't. Um, so let's look at these a little bit more in depth. Uh, they should have had the same letter. If, if, you, if anybody now could make these all start with the same letter, then I'll share by the end, and I'll greatly appreciate No, don't do that yet. So <laughs> a day of preparation. So knowing that the day of Sabbath is, is coming, it's going to start a specific time. What do we do to get ready? Now, the important thing I, I want to say for us to understand for the day of preparation is that um, it won't happen naturally. It won't happen naturally. There's a lot of things in life that, that will happen. You will get older without doing too much about it, right? I mean, you're going to have to eat, but it's going to happen. You will fall asleep because your body is going to do that. That will be forced upon you. Sabbath, a lot of supernatural things, a lot of things that we engage with the Spirit for don't happen naturally. And I think that that is an affront to the way we understand life to go. But I think it's utterly important that we understand that I've got to do something for this. I have to bring this to some place because ultimately these things are supernatural. They don't follow the natural course of things. It's, it's like the, the garden that gets no tending. It's going to grow weeds. If you really want to see the fruit grow, now th there's going to be some things that might come out and there might be some wildflowers that might look kind of pretty, but gardens that are tended will grow the life of the Spirit. And I think that that's what we have to realize is that if we're going to do this well, we have to have a day of preparation. On our, our honeymoon, they told my wife and I that, that we were on island time, Fiji time. Uh, don't worry. Be happy. The idea is don't have to concern yourselves with, with timetables and, and schedules, which is great, but it makes it really easy to do nothing. It makes it and to be left on an island for hours with nobody, you have no idea when they're going to get you because everybody's on island time and nobody's, nobody's concerned about things. And it's just this carefree attitude which actually doesn't bring about much fruit. And the Sabbath is not this idea, again, of carving off nothingness. It's not this idea of exclusion. It's this idea of blessing what the Lord has done and joining with him in both his rest and his work. And if we understand that, then I think we need to prepare for this. We need to make sure that we have the, those, those rails on, that we know what we're getting into, and that we're adequately ready for what the Sabbath is going to be about. So I think using a checklist of things you'll need is wonderful. During the Sabbath, having a notepad is immensely helpful. Because if you're like me, your Sabbath starts and you're like, ooh, I'm going to have to do, no, 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 just make a note. Just make a note. Come back to that later. Don't do it. Just make a note. And then you're, you're, you can turn it off in your brain. You can say, yes, I've acknowledged that that's the thing that I have to do. You see what I mean? This is going to be practical stuff. I acknowledge I have to do that, and I will do that later. And I won't forget because I wrote it down. Day of preparation is kind of in that same why. What do we need to do in advance to make sure that our Sabbath can happen? Do I, for instance, have clean laundry? Can I have clean underwear to wear tomorrow without having to do laundry? Like, like, do I have to do that? Now, one of the big things in the Old Testament when they had their day of preparation was food preparation. They needed to make food in advance. Now, we are in this world of luxury where if you open your pantry, you probably have more prepared food than they could have imagined. 
Like all you have to do is like open a package and eat it. Like it's there, it's ready for you. So the way that they used their day of preparation was traditionally to cook ahead, to make sure that, that they were not going to have to cook on, on the next day. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about, about food and preparation, but uh, the food that you have to eat is probably there for you. Are the bills paid so you don't have to worry about them tomorrow? So one of the things like, oh, the bills become due. Like, oh, oh no, I, I got to do that now. Well, take care of that on your day of preparation. Be mindful and, and carve these things out in advance. You see what I mean? Like, if you just fall into the day of Sabbath, and then you realize, oh, junk, I should have. Yeah, it happens. Understand what you need to do to carve out for yourself uh, a, a full Sabbath. A lot of spiritual things don't happen naturally. Most, maybe, maybe all, which isn't a surprise to us, because grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. That is such a good line. It's not from me, but it's something that we should remember. Grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. So for this day of, of preparation, for the day of Sabbath, we have to do some effort. We have to know the work that we do regularly so we can carve out the space. When you think about the flow of Sabbath, the way that it came about in the week, you're on your day of preparation, you're getting ready, you're busy, you're thinking, then the sun goes down. And you may not know this, but the, the day of Sabbath starts with sundown. And then there were like two candles. And then at that point in time, your Sabbath has begun. That means that all that work that, that you've been doing, all the, the preparation you've been doing, you're now done. And now you, the first thing you're going to do, you're going to light these candles. You might say a prayer. You might be with your family some. And then guess what you do? You start off your Sabbath by going to bed, <laughs> getting some, some real rest. And that's the way the Sabbath would begin. And I, I kind of like that idea. You know, we don't work that way. We think of 24 hours. We kind of think from the moment that I wake up to the moment that I go down. We, we kind of chop our days up differently. We don't have this understanding. But understanding and having this, this demarcation point the night before, where, you know, before I go to bed, before I do these things, I am now in a different day. I'm now in the Sabbath, which means that when I wake up, I'm not going to have this to do. I'm not going to rush out the door. That, that morning time can be your most stressful time as you're trying to, to get ready for your day, and especially on the day of preparation. What a gift you have using a day of preparation, starting with rest, to wake up and to know, today I have a Sabbath. Today I have a stoppage. Today I don't have those things to do. I took care of it already. The work's done. I get to enjoy today. I, I get to explore today. So that's going to bring me to my next point. It was the one of separation. Separation. Those two candles that you have lit are for the two commands. We've talked about them at length. Remember and observe, found in Exodus and Deuteronomy. It's a clear line from what came before. Without getting too much into it, one of the wonderful things, not about routine, but ritual, is that it establishes a practice with clear meaning. It designates a space and a time differently. I, I, I used to get a, a cup of coffee. Well, I still have a cup of coffee every day. But I used to grind the beans, you know, and, and there's a, this whole thing I would do. I would have the, the fresh grinder, and I would, you know, have the hand thing. I, I like to do that. You get the, this good coarse grind, so you can use the French press, boil the, the water, put it over there. And then after maybe doing this for like two or three months, I learned that the grinding was really grating to my wife. <laughs> so I, I, I remember I was grinding my coffee for like, you know, a minute, two minutes, just in, in <laughs> she says forever. And I'm just blissfully in my, in my world, like enjoying the cup of coffee I'm about to have. And she goes, 
are they not ground enough already? <laughs> and, and so this, this ritual that I had, that this way of like kind of starting my day, not just with a routine, but, but with a, a ritual, had to change. You know, it's not just about the mechanics, not about the actions, but the, the, the moment that I always loved with my cup of coffee in the morning is whenever I, I first have my sip. You know, this is very, very kernel, very tangible, but that first sip of coffee where I kind of feel like, okay, you know, it, it's something palpable. It's like, again, putting your hand on that dog. It's like, my day is here. My day has begun. You know, I, 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 I'm going to be okay. But in this moment, in this moment, I'm just getting grounded. I'm just getting centered. I'm just kind of here. And it's not about coffee in itself, though. If you ask many of your pastors, coffee might be as important as communion elements. I don't know about that. But it, it, it's this idea, it, it, like I found that space in my morning. It carves out this time for me to look at my day and what's coming. So the routine isn't, part of the, uh, isn't pregnant with ritual. My ritual came down to that first step. And I think that the lighting of the candles, the starting of your Sabbath, having some demarcation point where you realize this is now something different. There, there's an old pastor story, and I, I, I don't know that this is ever a true story about any individual, but this pastor, apparently in this old legend, would go and visit this man who, who was a part of his church. And uh, they were about to be moving, and as they were moving, the pastor noticed that the guy was pulling off this rock from the front of his house. It's like, why are you removing that, that, that stone for your, for your move? And the guy said, oh, that's my touchstone. So wha- what do you mean your, your touchstone? And he goes, well, every day that I come home from work, you know, before I go into my house, before I see my, my wife and my kids, I put my hand on that rock. And I, I touch it every day, and I just remind myself that every pressure that I had, every, every problem that I had out there, everything that I tried to solve today, every frustration I had, I leave it at the doorway. And I go through having left it all behind. And I, I love that idea of separating, like, like who I am out there. Like, and and we, we talked this morning about how the, the Holy Spirit blends these things together. And you know what? That is absolutely true. But this idea of separation, I think, is so important for the Sabbath. That we understand that today is somehow different. That we don't have this, this wall of noise, this, this chaos coming towards us. Y'all remember that terrible song I played for you, where there's no rhythm, where there's no rhyme, where there's no reason to these notes. They're just noise. You know, if you get all the colors, the beautiful colors of the rainbow, you just mix them together, you get some weird color of gray or black. You know, it's not, it's not the colors. It's not what it's meant to be. We've just mixed this stuff together. So having separation, having order, from chaos is very godly. And I want to say for the, the moments that we're talking about earlier today, it's joining with God in the rest and joining with God in his work. It's both. He is in all. He is in all of this. He's setting this order. In fact, this morning we had Psalm 68 read to us. Psalm 68, I'm going to steal this from Anne. Verse 19. Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Selah. I think that Selah is so important because think about the Sabbath order of these things. Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Selah. And if you don't know Selah, nobody really does. It's a musical term probably, but people have understood to be like maybe a musical interlude or, or maybe it tells you to do something, but they read it sometimes as this pause. They read it sometimes as, as, as this, this way of, of breaking up the, the verse, and it works so well contextually with that. God daily 
bears my burdens, now I'm going to join with him in his rest, in his work. It's with God in all, through all, but it's always God. It's always God. So he's with us, but yet we have it separated. Worship. In both of the Sabbath commands we've seen in Exodus and Deuteronomy, the command is tied to worship. Remember God's creation. Remember that he created the world in six days, and on the seventh he rested. Remember that. He joined with him in that good work. And then in Deuteronomy, we saw, remember God's salvation. Remember that he led you out of Egypt, that you were once a slave, but now you're free. Remember and observe. Remember what God has done. Celebrate that. And uh, thanks to Melanie for this one. Hosea 13, 6. When I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. And they forgot me. That, that's, that's a damning verse if I've ever read one. Have you ever been so well fed that you become satisfied? And have you ever been so satisfied that you became proud? And then you forget to worship. What can you do when you're satisfied? What can you do when you've been given enough? You can look back and you can praise your creator. Or you could forget him. Which one are we going to be? How can we have a Sabbath if we don't worship? <laughs> How can we have a Sabbath if we can't say, thank you, God, for what you've done? How can we have a Sabbath if we don't remember and observe the work that he has already done? I don't think you can. You can stop work, but is that a Sabbath? Is it a vacation? Is it a holiday? Is it something else? Can we actually have a Sabbath without worship? I don't think we can. I think a, a Sabbath has to include some form of worship. And I, I want to expand on that a little bit to say that this could be a celebration of beauty. A celebration of beauty. Because I do believe that God's beauty is all around us. The work that God has done is all around us. And if we're going to join with him in his Sabbath, in his rest, then when we celebrate beauty, when we appreciate the work that he has done, that's engaging with the Sabbath. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Wherever there's beauty, wherever there's goodness, wherever God has done something, so whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is pure, there's a moment in Sabbath where you can find these things, okay? When we focus on who God is, what he has done, we can acknowledge his hand here. Anything that makes or celebrates beauty, I think, is fair game on the Sabbath. So for some of us, that could be painting. For some of us, that could be songs. For some of us, that could be cooking. For some of us, it cannot be those things, <laughs> right? Again, I don't think I can describe your Sabbath to you, but I can prescribe for you certain behaviors that are going to guide you through these things. Fellowship. This was a communal idea. This isn't solitude and silence. Those are good. Those are good behaviors. Those are our discipleship things, but that's a whole different idea. And I don't want you to think of the Sabbath as your catch-all spiritual day to do all the things that I think I should be doing anyway, right? 
I think that's a, a temptation we're going to have is like, oh, yeah, I should read my Bible. I'll do that on my Sabbath. Oh, I should be praying. I'll do that on my Sabbath. Oh, I should, I should be fasting. I'll do that on my Sabbath because I don't want to be cooking anyway. And, and so we make the Sabbath this catch-all spiritual day. You're laughing because maybe you've thought these things. You know, we've, we make it this day where I'm just going to take care of all of my spiritual needs and like a, a, and just a, a day of, of a spiritual goodness. That's not what the Sabbath is. It's distinctly some things, and it's distinctly not other things. It's distinctly not solitude and silence. I believe it's communal and worshiping. That can be songs of praise. That can be together with friends. That could actually be feasting as much as it could be fasting. It's going to be this time together where we have to do this. Why is it communal? Why is it? Well, if you look at what God did, when he was taking this walk in the cool of the, of the evening in the garden, celebrating the creation that he had, he's looking for man. He's looking for man. And I, I think we have this legalism, too, about not traveling on the Sabbath. But God was taking this walk. You know, we, we want to put these, these, these limitations on things. But what we see in history, what we see God doing always is bringing people into this. The salvation that we had as slaves from, from Egypt, that's a communal thing. Remember all this. Lighting these candles in your family, it's a family communal thing. We're doing this together. We're doing this together. In fact, it's so communal that it's even saying for those foreigners living among you, don't do business because you don't want to make them work on the Sabbath either. It's so communal that my Sabbath should affect you. <laughs> my Sabbath should affect you. You, in the sense that, you know what, I think one of the things that I'm tempted to do is I'm not going to cook, I'm going to go to a restaurant. But now, how, how, how elitist is that? Well, I can't work today, so you, I'm going to give you money and you work for me. But no buying or selling. That's my point. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly my point. So my temptation is to go to a restaurant, just be like, hey, take care of me, take care of me, do these things for me. But our Sabbath should be so strong that it affects the lives that other people live around us. And this is a hard thing. This is why I don't think you can do this naturally. You can't just say, I'm just going to mosey into my Sabbath and just have this time. And I'll tell you how, I, how I've rectified some of this in a little bit further on. But this is a communal idea. The beauty of creation celebrated and enjoyed God taking walk in the cool of the evening, family time, friend time, and it's often around food. But it's not about fasting or feasting because they had to prepare the daily bread the day in advance. So arguably, like I said before, this is easiest to do today because we have prepared food for us. But also Sabbath was over at sundown. That left time to do the washing up with it not becoming gross, leftover, dried up gunk on plates. Most of us don't love cooking because it's work. But we get legalistic here. Is reheating food okay? Is the microwave okay to use pushing buttons? Is cereal really work at all? Because you're just <laughs> getting milk and cereal and putting them in a bowl. And quickly we forgot the very elements of what this is. We've made it about laws already and we're not even trying to. So let me talk about it this way. I think for me often a Sabbath wonderful activity is a good lamb chop. <laughs> really. I love lamb. Lamb is fantastic meat. I, I love a lamb chop. And, and with a little bit of rosemary in there, and it is just glorious. And it reminds me of the goodness of the palate and of, of the goodness that God has made for us. And it is, it is just, you stick it on the grill, and this is good things. Now, cleaning up afterwards, that's work. <laughs> but, but I don't know that I could actually do 
that I could actually, you know, clean up without th thinking about work, but I could cook something like that because I don't cook that often. I lived with a, a gourmet chef throughout college, which is a very unusual college experience because he would cook for us all the time. So I, I didn't live off of ramen and cereal and pancakes in college. My, my gourmet chef roommate would bring home prime rib and, and, and steaks, and he would want to make us these, these dinners to try out new recipes. Fan if you could ever live with a gourmet chef, I highly recommend it. And then I moved from there to my, my wife's house where she cooks for me, and it's like, wow. <laughs> so it has been this glorious thing for me, but what I always found funny was watching him work for 8, 10, 12 hours a day sometimes in these restaurants. And then he'd come home, and he hasn't been eating because he's been on his feet. He's been working. And he'll stop at McDonald's on the way back. And I always was, was you know, struck by that. It's like, you're making such amazing food. What, what are you doing, dude? You know, it's like, well, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm just tired. I just want a Big Mac. I just, I just want to, you know, given he, that was work for him. That was work for him. For him to cook a lamb chop on his day off, is probably more work for him. For me, it's an exploration of beauty and, and, and great tasting food. For him, it's work. So what works for me for my Sabbath isn't going to work for him. So what can you do? What is going to be work for you? What is not? I, I don't think anybody but the Spirit can lead you into these things. The cleanup, though, probably is always going to wait until the next day. Can we all agree on that? The plates can wait until sundown or however we're going to do it. But see... The no legalism, no legalism part is here, but the higher priority for me would be to not on eating out, like we we're saying, because I think that the idea of the Sabbath is that it's got to be infectious. And if I outsource my work to somebody else on the Sabbath, the work isn't stopping. If I outsource my labor, if I outsource my effort, if I make somebody else do the work because I'm not working today, I'm not actually saying no to work. I'm just shuffling the deck. I'm just shuffling the deck. But if I take care of it in advance of the day of preparation, if I'm doing the work I need to do, what a glorious gift to those around me. What a glorious, wonderful thing to say, God's in charge. I am not. This work isn't as important as being centered on him. And I won't have somebody else do this for me. I, 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 won't, I won't make somebody else outside the church take care of this for me. The idea I have in my head is that it's about creating an atmosphere of glorifying what God has accomplished and that our work isn't what this whole thing is about. That's the heart of this to me. So however I structure my day, however I structure my time, is that being understood? Is that being demonstrated to myself and to those around me? So no buying or selling. Like don't do anything to get money. Don't do anything to spend money. This is a hard one. We are in such a consumer-driven culture. Like, can you imagine a day where you actually said, I'm not going to buy that today? I mean, it's just a click on my phone. It's just a swipe of the credit card. But we're buying into this whole consumer mentality, this, this capitalistic thing that, that, again, that we're keeping the markets going because we think that that stuff really matters. Like, there can't be a day off. Like, we have to have 24 by 7 shops. It has to be available always online. I have to order it now or won't be here until Tuesday. You know, all of these things that we put before us, if we can actually say no to buying and selling, it's an, a powerful thing. And it, it's so against our culture to say, why are you not doing that today? Well, because it's a Sabbath. So it's not work to buy or, or to sell. No. Say no to it. And I find it to be so freeing 
and so challenging, so challenging. It's the, it's the time, but it's the mentality. The infectious part of buying and selling gets into your, your head in such a way that you, you're in this materialistic world again. And so the freedom you can have in the South by saying no to buying and selling is so wonderful. I recommend it highly. Say no to buying and selling. Remember, we are saying enough. That was one a whole week I talked about saying enough with the Sabbath. If I do this thing as a part of my job, checking email, making a phone call, I should leave it behind. I mentioned having a notepad with you on your Sabbath. Then when you're tempted to take care of something, just add it to your to-do list. You won't forget it, and you can get back to the most important thing, which is adjoining with God and what he is doing at that moment. This is, I think, the heart of the whole thing. Because if I can do this, the no buying and selling, I feel like I'm honoring what I understand the Sabbath to be to me. Because I'm not building my wealth and I'm not contributing to the economic forces of this world. I'm saying with my time and with my wallet, the kingdom first. For me, that's the heartbeat of the Sabbath. To me, that's where the, the Lord has got his finger on my pulse, saying, this is for you, Josh. So avoid legalism. Jesus fulfilled and satisfied all the law. He invites us into the fullness that they intended. Holding to a 24-hour cycle could end up producing more stress. Life happens. It might demand you to do something when you intended to celebrate the Sabbath. But think of it in that way, celebrating the Sabbath. Follow Christ's example. There's wisdom in not traveling, okay? Because travel isn't the work that it used to be, and I'm not talking about you know, going to a friend's house or to church, but a travel day isn't a Sabbath day. I don't know if you know this, but, but a travel day doesn't count. Like vacation-wise, you, you have a travel day. You're like, oh, I'll be fine. I'll get back and everything will be fine. But a travel day is not a Sabbath day. For your mind, for your soul, for your body, a travel day is not a Sabbath day. When we stop, stop. Because I think when we, we are traveling, we're stuck in between. There, we're not crossing that threshold. But I'm not saying to be legalistic. I think for the communal aspect of this, you might have to go to a friend's house. You might have them come over to yours. You might meet somewhere. You might join together in a congregation. Those are wonderful Sabbath activities that I don't think should be sacrificed. You're going to say, well, I'm not going to travel, you know, 10 minutes. I'm not going to go 15 minutes by car. Let's not be legalistic and see what the heart of the matter is. So for some of us, the Sabbath includes going to the gym, working out. Some of it's going for a run. Not for me. <laughs> for others, that contradicts the whole thing. For some people, this is going to be painting and singing, enjoying a special dish of a lamb chop. But for other of us, not a chance. Avoid legalism and don't project that legalism on somebody else as they're enjoying their Sabbath. Find the heart. What does your heart sing about the Sabbath? When you think about stopping and honoring God and the work that he has done, what joy comes out of your heart? What pleasure does your soul sing about? Is that, that God's paid the, pre the price? Find rest, O oh my soul. God has already accomplished this. Is it find rest, O oh my soul? God has made all of this. Are you saying find rest, my soul, because I'm a part of God's family, the communal part? What song does your soul sing on the Sabbath? Find that note. Find that chorus and join in that song. Finally, it's variable. Many of us, have suffered heartache. We've never responded and we've never refilled our cups. One day a week won't fix that for you. 
if you've lost someone, if you've struggled, you will find life given to you in the Sabbath, but not necessarily in one chunk, not necessarily one day. You need maybe a bigger, longer Sabbath where you say no to certain things and you say yes to the filling of the Holy Spirit, where you, you join with God in his work and his rest, but it's not going to be in that daily rhythm. It might be more in a monthly rhythm. It might be a seasonal rhythm. You know, like I needed this really strong season of jubilee. You, we, we talked about the jubilee, that this, the seven of sevens, this whole idea of everything coming back. That was like a one in a generation type of event. So once, sometimes in your life, you need a Sabbath jubilee, a big Sabbath. But so many times we're taking a sip out of our cup, sip out of our cup, and we're never even refilling it at all. And then we're surprised when it's empty. And then we just, you know, quickly fill it up a little bit, and we don't get enough back in there. Some things in life empty your cup more than others. Some things do. They just dry you out. And a daily Sabbath or a weekly Sabbath or a monthly Sabbath might not be enough. That's not because the Sabbath is not sufficient. It's because the Sabbath is meant to be more than just a weekly routine. Join with God today in his rest. Join with him in the work that's already been accomplished on the cross. It's for your benefit. There's a goodness to be had here. So we sometimes need a jubilee. When we've gone through something, we need something greater. I need my daily mini-Sabbaths. What I have found that I do, like I said, I, I haven't found yet a, a week where I can take a day off. But every lunchtime now, I have prepared food. I don't go to a restaurant anymore. This was a, this was a shift that I had to make. It was always easier for me to go to a restaurant, but I really felt convicted. Like, if I'm going to do my Sabbath, I can't be buying and selling. So I, I stopped buying my lunch out, and I have food that I have. Sometimes it's, it's the, the, just the nuts and the, the berries, you know, the little trail mix thing. And I can eat, eat some of that, and I have a drink, and I, I do that, and I take a walk, and I pray. Or I go into one of the, the offices I, that I have in, my, in, in work, and I close the door, and I read my Bible, and I pray. What's important is I don't have my phone. What's important is I say no to work. What's important is when people are trying to schedule a meeting in that time, I say no. I say no. I turn it down, and I block off my calendar for that. That has given me more life. That's the rhythm I have found through this right now. And I'm adding nights, and I'm saying no. Last night, I was, I was still trying to get the final thoughts of this down, and Leah said, come on, let's go with the kids. We're going to go to that Sweetberries place. And I said, but I'm not done yet. And she said, come. Okay, I'm going to choose communal time because that matters. Because my family sometimes needs a little bit more than what I've been giving them. Because sometimes me just trying to push through this thing and trying to just get something done is not the most important work in the room. And what I have found is when I come back to work after having even a mini Sabbath, truly, whether, whether it's psychology or God's spirit or just his design of this whole thing, it's better. It's better. My mind is quicker. I'm ready for it. I'm not struggling. I'm not, I'm not in the dumps. It's a goodness. So my conclusion. The Sabbath is hard because if we go too much in one direction, it looks like sloth and laziness. <laughs> too much in another direction, we're overly convinced of our own self-importance and less convinced of the role that God plays in our lives. Too much in yet another direction, We've checked some boxes, but we've ended up in a legalistic, neurotic mess. On vacation, we often let things happen to us. That It's Fiji time. 
It's the world's best effort at this, is just making more laziness. But church, I really do believe that the Sabbath is what our soul requires for a full life. It's where we can meet with the Holy Spirit and the work that he's doing, which sounds counter to the Sabbath, but it's the harpy of this whole thing. And it's what the world needs as an antidote to what it has to offer. It's the antidote to greed, to lust, to pride, to every sin that plagues modern society. The world needs this. And if we say it, but we don't do it, how will they know? How will they see? How can you even testify about it if you don't enter into the rest of God yourself? If you say it's all about grace and then you hold up your own righteousness, you're not entering into God's rest. And Sabbath is going to be our heartbeat to tell the world it's about God's grace, not about your own righteousness. Do you see how Sabbath is there? How it's just saying God did this work, not you? Sabbath in all of this is a testimony to the world that desperately needs God's grace, God's power, God's work to be complete in them. As much as anything, church, I'm pleading for you to hear this call to join with me in walking this out, not just once or twice, but to really let this change and shape and form the rhythm of your life. I'm not going to be talking about it anymore for these weeks. It might come up here and there. But at this point in time, it's like, have you looked into this mirror? Have you seen it? Hopefully you've been convinced that this matters and that this is for you. But now we have to walk it out. Now that you've been given this gift, now that you understand this, what do we do about this? How do we put this into practice? How do you celebrate the Sabbath that God's called you into? I think that's going to take some creativity on your parts. It's going to take some working out. I don't think that this is the thing that you can just say, oh, I've got that. I'm down. I'm done. We need each other to remind us and to call us back into it. I need my wife to say, leave the computer, come to Sweetberries. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, you are good. Father, you are good and you have given us a way. You've shown us, you've demonstrated it, you've empowered us to live it out. But Father, we have We've turned to our own ways still. So, Father, for myself, I want to repent of every time I've done that. I find my way back to you. So, Father, thank you. Thank you. We join with you in the work that's been done. We say yes. We say yes. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.